90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Well, I did something I swore I'd never do this week. Um, math? <laughs> Ouch. I have a math minor, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know. Okay, so what, so what was it? It's got to be something... I brought AI into the house. <laughs> I bought a robot vacuum. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so my son, who is 12 and is maybe the funniest person alive, says, I want no part of this. Those can be weaponized. <laughs> And then just walked into his room and shut the door. <laughs> Strap a claymore onto that I, thing. And I said, I agree with you, son, but I hate the dog hair more. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that it can't make its way up the stairs and I'll be fine. So what have you named your vacuum? Nothing yet. It's only performed twice. It needs to I need an idiosyncrasy. and then clearly i'm gonna get like a vinyl sticker put on it i just can't can't figure (laughs) out what yet (laughs) i vote for pac-man oh (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i'm totally gonna make that little mouth that's hilarious (laughs) yep oh that's perfect um yeah the cats are not okay with it (laughs) at all the dog knocked it off it's uh it went home and the dog, like, jerked it out of home, like, started digging at it. <laughs> and then it just went nice. home again, and it happened again. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> this thing will never survive. But. Have yeah. you read the story about the oh, yeah. robot vacuum and the poop? <laughs> and the poop. It, so mine is, I am poor, so I did not buy a fancy one. I don't even think it maps anything, actually. Um, it doesn't have an app. It has a remote control. <laughs> So that's what ours does, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I bought a Eufy. That's so. what ours is. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so it doesn't have that sensor because my brother was like, oh, God, I could never do it. Have you read this? Like, yes. <laughs> but the fancy ones do have poop sensors now. <laughs> yeah, but yours will just shamelessly spread the poop everywhere. Everywhere, right? So my dog, I don't know why his face doesn't work, but when he drinks, it just come straight out like I don't understand the actual mechanics of how he hydrates um (laughs) and so yeah the whole that part of the kitchen today was pretty wet but um yeah it's weird it's really weird I know people have had them for like years my friends were like yeah I've had my Roomba for like nine years now I'm like yeah well I'm late to the party okay (laughs) I don't need that vacuum (laughs) listening to me knowing what I'm doing every day but now I don't care because my dog is part Pyrenees and sheds constantly everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we gave up on the privacy when we had the lady in the tube in the house. Oh, <clears throat> nope. I, get, I refuse to do that. My daughter has been yelling at it because my friend has Alexa. And so my daughter's been yelling Alexa at the vacuum. I'm like, that's not what this is. <laughs> No, but you did just trigger a bunch of people's You're welcome. smart devices. That's why you shouldn't have those. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you said lady in the tube. See, I don't even I don't even recognize it. <laughs> no, that's from the Back to Work podcast where they 
I don't remember if it was the Apple Assistant or the Amazon one, where in one episode they just said it like 50 <laughs> times. And they were giving examples of things that they would do. And they got so much hate mail after that. Um, they would either say Lady in the Tube or my favorite was they had later morphed into Ahoy Telephone. Uh, so that was, that was my favorite. Ahoy Telephone. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I don't appreciate it. So Merlin Man, Dan Benjamin, back to work. Good podcast. (laughs) I don't appreciate it when Google thinks I'm talking to it in the car. That bothers me a lot. I'm like, I didn't say your name, but it just, my daughter's name is Hazel. And so if I yell at her, it thinks I'm saying hey to it. And it triggers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It took me a while to figure that one out. But, um, so I got this robot vacuum. I think it might be life-changing, as so many people you, already know. You liking it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you running it daily? or? Um, well, so it's run daily the last three days. And, yeah, I wish it could climb up on the couch, because now the dog just sits on the couch and watches it and just sheds all over the couch. But <laughs> um, right. it's pretty impressive. I've been leaving little messes for it just to see if it gets them, you know? Right. Which feels like an awful lot of mind power to go into this. But <laughs> <laughs> Playing mind games with the robot vacuum. I, I am. Like, my daughter had an everything bagel this morning, so I put a little pile of sesame and poppy seeds on the floor in this weird spot to see if it got it. And it was gone. So there either the dog ate it or the robot vacuum did. I don't care which, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's... um. That's been our excitement this week. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Yep. We haven't had anything uh, nearly that life-changing. <laughs> Man, I really think it is life-changing. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's life here right now. And um, I'm probably going to get another one for my upstairs. Like I said, I wish it could do the stairs, but also I don't want it to kill me in my sleep. So... <laughs> You know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we've been, uh, you know, we had some some more wintry precipitation last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we recovered from that. We've been enjoying trying to get to to do some things outdoors. And I've been working on the aircraft tug. It is almost ready to drive <gasps> out of the shop. Oh, how exciting is that? It's very exciting. It only took a couple days with multiple friends working on the brakes and then more days with more friends working on the wiring. Mm, okay. That um that little he's a bright orange, right? Of of course. Yeah, of course, yes. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> bright orange. We'll see how fast it goes, but redesign the whole electrical system. There are now four ways to stop it. Wow. In addition to the brake system, because I am mortified of a solenoid or a contactor welding shut and taking off across the airfield with my airplane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Seems like that would be a terrible thing to happen. (laughs) Yep. So now there, like I said, there are four ways to stop that from happening. (laughs) Excellent. All of them are big red buttons, right? (laughs) No, no, I don't have an e-stop button, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's a big clunky contactor underneath the seat and redundant power relays and then a big shift lever that when you shift it into neutral it literally breaks a giant quarter inch thick copper bus bar oh my gosh oh my gosh 
<laughs> I feel like this might be the only thing you own that doesn't have a big red E stop. It's true, but yeah, you know, I mean, if it's worth killing, it's worth overkilling. Oh boy. <laughs> um, speaking of winter weather, because yeah, we all we had that too. They canceled parent teacher conferences, which I thought was hilarious. And everyone was super excited about. Um, <laughs> but I thought, because tonight there's some tornadoes down south of us, and it was real springtimey outside, that we should try on our summer shorts just for the just for the week. Well, and we'll see. We know how that normally goes. Hey, uh, look. <laughs> I, I, I did love that uh, uh, Tim Marshall was chasing down south and I think referred to one of the storms that was producing large hail. I think the phrase he used was bonk fest, <laughs> which was about right. It looked like uh, there's some severe hail going on down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very exciting. Um, my husband's off playing golf in South Carolina where it's freezing, which I think is very funny. And he was like, are you watching this? Of course I'm watching this. <laughs> right. Come on. You know me. And so winter weather, severe storms, mm-hmm. a try-on of our summer shorts. It has been warm enough. And so what that's, is this week's summer short about? That's right. Um, we, I wanted to do this because I want to see you try to pronounce this word, number one. Um, but number two, I, I received this week also, um, not only did I write down that summer shorts joke to make sure I said it, but... I received a care package from our mutual friends in Hawaii, and they sent me individually wrapped spams. Yeah. Yeah, single serving spam. In addition to bacon flavored spam. And so I thought in honor of that, we would talk about the sea mount that is building itself off the front of Hawaii. Because I love to talk about hotspots. I think they're super weird and not well understood. So we'll talk about, can you say it? Do you know how to say it? Loihi. <laughs> there we go. I had to look it up too. Uh, Loihi, which is the newest of the Hawaiian islands. Hey, man, I didn't, ha- I didn't have to look it up. I've been <gasps> to Hawaii. <laughs> That's right. I haven't been there yet. Um <laughs> We were hoping to go this summer, and that was part of the letter that came with the spam said that they were coming back this summer. So who knows if we ever make it to Hawaii. But uh, this thing is really weird to me, and I didn't know a lot. I think we need to do a field trip there, just saying. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, And I didn't know, actually, a lot about the Seamount chain that Hawaii is a part of, the Hawaiian Emperor Seamount chain. So I didn't know if you knew a lot about this beforehand. Yes, yeah, so Emperor Seamounts, I mean, they're a seismic source. Right. Said as a geophysicist would say. That is correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a big chain of volcanoes that go from the Aleutians out to Hawaii. Uh, many tens, you know, approaching 100 volcanoes. Yeah, I, I had no idea that the Hawaiian Islands were part of that long of a chain. I had, I was very shocked. It's 6,200 kilometers. It's like almost, you know, the radius of the earth, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I had no idea that that hotspot had been going for that long. No clue. See? And you, you say hotspot. 
So <laughs> let's talk about island chains and hotspots. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to put our pants back on. There goes our summer short. <laughs> <laughs> right? Break out the sweats. Okay. So there's lots of debate on, okay, do hotspots exist? How far down do they? Okay. Let's ignore that. Um, the, the basic idea is imagine you've got a match and that's your, your hot spot, your hot rock rising and feeding a volcano. Mm-hmm. And you've got a plate that's riding over the top of it. And we know plates move. Mid-ocean ridges create new crust and move. It gets subducted at subduction zones. We've talked about plate tectonics many times on here. Mm-hmm. And what you get is if that hot spot stays perfectly stationary and the plate moves, you get kind of this drug out scar of volcanism. Right. But punching through the crust and actually producing a volcano, which then produces a seamount, this mountain underwater of cooled lava or rock, mm-hmm. it, it happens semi-sporadically. So you get a chain, you get a, a string of new seamounts or islands if they break the surface where the ones closest to the hot spot are the youngest and the ones furthest away are the oldest. Right. Makes sense. But. And Hawaii is obviously the youngest because we're still forming islands there. Yes. Well, Lo'ihi is. I mean, but it's still a seamount. It's not an island yet. But the ones that are oldest, way up by the Aleutians, they're really old. I mean, those are, I think the oldest one said it was like 83 million years old or something. Yeah. Yeah, they get quite old. That's impressive. So, like the Hawaiian islands part of this, like if you're going to draw Hawaii, that part is, they're called the Windward Islands. Um so that's including Loihi, and then most of the Hawaiian islands are the youngest. So they're less than 7 million years old. And then there's more northwesterly, and these are all atolls. So if you have a volcano, it goes extinct. It starts to sink, right, because it's getting older and colder. And erosion happens, and you sort of have this, you just have the rim of the crater left, and you've got all kinds of crusty things growing off of that, little, you know, corals and everything. And so you've got this circular, semicircular island. Those are atolls. Uh, those are the leeward islands. And those are 7 to 27 million years old. Right. Mm-hmm. And then something weird tectonically maybe happens from that windward-leeward chain, which is a pretty straight line. And then you have a bend in this chain. It's like 60 degrees, I think. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, you you can see it looking at bathymetric maps or even, eh, probably not so much just surface maps. But yeah, bathymetric for sure. Right, because a lot of them are really old and they're already sunk down pretty good. Um, and then the 60 degree bend in the seamount chain. And those are the emperor seamounts. And those are 39 to, like I said, 83 ish million years old but that bend is real weird and yeah I, and here's where the speculation <laughs> starts <laughs> so you know i always have students you know draw this picture and we talk about i've told the story of pele on here 
before, which is one of my favorite like indigenous stories about a landscape. Um, and as John said, like the Big Island of Hawaii is the youngest one, the most active, and then everything else is dormant as you go backwards. Uh, this rotation, then, you would assume would be, because that hot spot stays in one space, it would be because the plate rotated at some point, right? Which isn't weird. Plates don't always move in one direction. But there's some question about whether it was a plate rotation or it has something to do with hot spot dynamics, which you wouldn't think is a thing because they're supposed to stay in one place. <laughs> it's like saying a thunderstorm stays in one place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> this one always blows people's mind because it's one of the first times that I say when I'm teaching, because I teach plate tectonics fairly early on, that I say, like, we have no idea what's actually happening. Like, we say this hot spot is right there, and we imagine it as this shooting mantle plume, but really, the dynamics of what's happening, we don't have any clue. And so I'd read this, um, John Tarduno is a famous paleomagnetist now, and in the early oddies, he looked at some of these seamounts and said, okay, well, if... These were all from that one hot spot. Then all of these seamounts that are up here by the Aleutians should have a primary magnetization that says they were formed at the, well, wherever Hawaii was, you know, 89 million years ago. So they should have that latitude. And they don't. So why not? Well, if we know the plate movement questionable, but let's say we do. Uh, if we know the plate movement, then that means the hot spot has to have moved. Mm-hmm. Now, I need you to explain to me mantle wind. Do you know what this is? <laughs> have you heard this no. before? <laughs> the, to mm-hmm. me, this is one of those things where it's like, well, what moved the convection current? Well, in meteorology, they call it wind. Sure. <laughs> So I mean, we know that mantle <laughs> movements are, I mean, it's convection, right? Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's very similar dynamics. Sure, there are not only vertical forces due to thermal, but there have to be horizontal forces due to all kinds of weird gradients, probably. Yeah. And, and different properties. Coriolis and that would force. create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, then that would create lateral movement, which by any definition we would nominally call wind. Uh, weird it's just weird to think of a wind that blows at you know an inch per thousand years i know <laughs> we always say it's the same physics i didn't make up this mantle wind everybody this was this was already written down somewhere <laughs> how many nanonauts was that mantle wind <laughs> 1. 1.1 knots um <laughs> that i'm using nanonauts forever <laughs> so uh Fun random fact. I'm trying to remember the exact conversion because I made people do this when we taught Python courses. Um, let's see. I think if you do, was it meters per second? It's the same as. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's angstroms per nanosecond. Oh I think. my gosh. I am convert wind yes. into angstroms per something, but it turned out to be the same number. <laughs> <laughs> minus 40 
Celsius and Fahrenheit. <laughs> exactly. One of those, one one of those of, moments. <laughs> one of those moments where you did the whole conversion, you're like, wait. Yes. Did I um, just... But ang- <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's angstroms per nanosecond. I'll have to check that. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. Just to prove your obnoxious math comment wrong earlier. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know I joke. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Um, but I think that's interesting. That's where PMAG, you know, showing some interesting <clears throat> things. But but it is true. Like, we don't know a lot about hotspot mechanisms, dynamics, geometries at all. No, I mean, if you want to see something fun, go to a geophysical conference and say the word mantle plume and step back. <laughs> <laughs> I've had students just search that in class before and have like different groups like draw what they found or you know the first thing that they found and they're all so totally different. But that is totally yep. the one where people are like, "We don't know." What do you mean we don't know? Like you people don't know this. I'm like, "No. Not at all." Nope. <laughs> and funny enough, if we talk about geophysics, this Loihi I mean, it was discovered before plate tectonics. It was mapped before plate tectonics were a thing. Yeah, so it was mapped in 1940. Mm-hmm. Man, can you, during a U.S. Coast and Geodetic Survey, can you imagine, like, just getting to go around and make maps? Sounds like the best job ever. Well, and having, you know, now you don't really get the opportunity to make maps of somewhere that nobody's made maps of. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So this is off the southeast coast of Hawaii, and it was mapped there in 1940. And like John said before, there's a lot of earthquakes involved with seamounts. And so, yeah, it was mapped, but it was mapped as one of these hundreds of unmarked little seamounts around Mauna Loa, which is where it's off the flank of. And there was a big earthquake swarm there in 1952, and then several times since then. And so this one is the one that will be the next Hawaiian island as it grows. But it's having some growing pains. And you can probably already buy timeshares. <laughs> God, <laughs> probably. a square foot. Um, Right. So it's only at 975 meters above the ocean floor, 3,200 feet. Like I said, it's off the flank of Mauna Loa, which is the largest shield volcano on Earth, largest volcano on Earth. And I always love talking about Mauna Loa because it's so crazy. From the sea floor to the summit, it's over 10,000 meters tall. It's like... 400 or 4,000 feet taller than Mount Everest. Yeah, so Everest is 8,850-ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible to me. That's a big, that's a big volcano. It is. And it. I highly recommend going. Just keep rubbing it in, man. Um. (laughs) It's it's a really neat place. Um, And, you know, because it's so tall, it's a great place for doing things like astronomy. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, But 
That's a that's a different summer short. It's talking about Mauna Loa. It's it's pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. Um, yes, there's all kinds of really cool stories there too because you know there's snow up there. It's so tall. We'll get back to that. But so it's a shield volcano, right? It's very very gentle slope, and where Loihi is located, the slope's just five degrees, but the difference. So it's a shield volcano, but there are. <laughs> several hundred meters of difference in Loihi's like northern and southern basically if you're drawing Loihi's little shield because of how how large it spreads out as well so several hundred meters of elevation difference between like the north side of Loihi and the south side and where there's elevation difference there's pressure difference and where there's pressure difference there's instability yes so lots of debris flows. It's blown out its top a couple of times, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> uh-huh. it used to be like Pele's Peak. Now it's like Pele's Event or something like that. <laughs> so uh-huh. it just keeps... Oh, Pele's Pits mm-hmm. is its little new crater. But it's had a lot of seismic action on it and a lot of eruptions. But I think the last eruption was in 96, but then the last um, big seismic activity was in 2005 there. Right. And, you know, we say this is, okay, it's only a kilometer tall, something like that. So it's not very big. It's really young. But when we say really young in geologist speak, <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> Because um, <laughs> so, it, didn't, it didn't come up in 1940. No, no, it didn't. <laughs> so radiometric dating puts it somewhere between 300,000 years old and 250,000 years old. What's really cool is they've done geochemistry of this, and you can track the age of the Hawaiian islands by their geochemical changes. And so the first sort of spewing out of volcanism for any one of the islands tends to be more alkali. And so it's in the alkali basalt stage right now. And that puts it in between sort of pre-shield and shield volcano. So it's still, I don't know, a toddler, teenager, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 300,000 years. And I think it said something like another... I don't, rem- I don't remember where I read this, whether it was another 100,000 or 200,000 years before it got tall enough to be above the sea level. Yep, so just just a little more waiting mm-hmm. to, to start building those condos. <laughs> Especially if you melt all that ice. It's going to push the opening dates just, back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a moving target. <laughs> Um, So I didn't know anything about this Hugo, this Hawaii Undersea Geological Observatory. Did you know about this thing? No. No, because I thought, my gosh, how many Hawaii volcano observatories are there? A lot of them, apparently. So after, I guess in 1996, this earthquake swarm was not damaging enough, but concerning enough that they installed this ocean bottom observatory on the summit of Loihi on the seamount in 1997, so a year later. And they called it the Hawaii Undersea Geological Observatory. Um, 
And they used a fiber optic cable to connect it to the University of Hawaii. And they had, you know, real-time seismic stuff, but also a camera and, um, like, chemical sensors on it. I thought that was really cool. And it only lasted a year because its cable broke, essentially, and they dug it up, like, three or four years later. Huh. Mm-hmm. Just dropped this little box down. Kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why we don't do that more. No. But, yeah. Uh, you know, doing doing field deployments is it's expensive business, <laughs> <laughs> especially when you got to get a get a ship and that's and, true. Uh, the risk is high of something mm-hmm. going wrong. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it's it's a terrible thing, but like it takes. A natural disaster sometimes to get these things funded, right? Like, I was promised that there would be a weather center in place at OU while I was an undergrad, and it wasn't until, you know, the 1999 tornadoes that everything got super funded. And the same thing, I guess, for this, right? Because it was 1997, so there was a lot of action in 1996 on Loihi. Then they made this little underground observatory for it, too. Just some cool pictures from there. All those uh, yeah. weird microbes and everything that lives there. So I have, I have nothing to say about any of that. But Well, I found a page on Hugo that was last updated Thursday, February 19th, 1998. There you go. <laughs> uh, talking about it in the, the future tense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see. So the Hugo Junction box, as well as its instrument packages, are made of titanium to minimize corrosion and ensure a lifespan of at least 10 years, according to Dave Harris, chief engineer of the project. The tough parts are the electronics, mechanical design, and software, he claims. Other than that, it's easy. <laughs> Other than everything, uh, it's, it's easy. easy. I like that. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> huh. Interesting. There's a lot of weird iron philic bacteria down there. So those are real weird to look at. All these weird oranges and reds of these creepy things that love those kind of vents. So. Yeah. Um, oh, so here we go. Uh, October 2002, Hugo was recovered. Uh, it's probably in the closet. And it says... <laughs> It says the junction box was in excellent shape and will likely be used in another observatory. Oh, hmm. wonder if that happened. <laughs> so maybe Hugo rides again. Uh, I did find this other pictures from this other research vessel, and it's called Hurl. Why do you do this? Hawaii Undersea Research Laboratory. <laughs> Earl. <clears throat> we got to have our acronyms. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's at SOEST if you're interested. But yeah. Hilarious. If you've got a if if your acronym is interesting enough, you will get press releases. That is absolutely true. <laughs> uh so yeah, that's that's Louihi, basically. Yeah. I haven't been there, so I don't have anything else to say about it, but I think they're really interesting and I definitely learned a lot reading about this Emperor Seamount change. I'm totally gonna pull up Tarduno's papers on that. Mantle wind. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, everybody thinks that by doing things like adding islands to the Hawaiian island chain, it's just going to get better. But it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show, where we'll see if that's true. 
fun paper Friday. Are you suggesting we subtract some islands? <laughs> I mean, it, nature does that eventually. Eventually, that is true. Uh, I thought you might like this. People systematically overlook subtractive changes by Adams et al. I loved this. I want to use it. <laughs> I knew it. In every engineering talk I ever give again. <laughs> I knew you'd love this. This was so cool. And, well, anyway, we'll talk about their, their discussion after this. But basically, these researchers provided all these tons of different tasks to see why people, because anecdotally, people usually add things before you think about subtracting things. And so they set out to prove this mathematically, which they did. It's like any series of tasks, generally people first would add something to fix the task, whatever the task is. And they have a ridiculously wide-ranging amount of tasks before people would think to take things away to do things more efficiently. And this is the engineer paradigm. <laughs> you just keep adding complexity until it works. So. Not keep it simple, stupid. So weird that it was so overwhelming. And it wasn't until they put in little suggestions of taking away. And even then, people still didn't take away. Yeah, the majority still didn't. Yes. Yeah, despite subtraction being a much more efficient answer to the question. So these experiments were awesome and very wide-ranging, right? The Yeah, lots of different things that they did. I mean, some yeah, of them... Yeah, so the actual paper is four pages, yeah. but the total, after you add the method <laughs> section, is 17. I know. <laughs> it's so weird. I mean, there were ones that they basically said people would like earn money if they did a subtractive transformation to an object versus not. And only then could you get people to do it. But like I said before, it wasn't even in a proportion that was super high. Because if you have two choices, subtract or add to solve this problem, you would think it would be 50-50 what people do. But it never was. Yeah, so the simplest ones were with a grid of squares, some of them colored, some of them not. And it was an asymmetric pattern, and they said, make this pattern symmetric. And you could touch squares, and they would take the color away, or color, they would toggle state. And the vast, vast majority of people added squares so that one side matched the other, instead of just remove squares to make the both sides match by Reducing the complexity, reducing the ink on the page, as Tufty would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, they did that too, right? Some of the things were essays, were some of the tasks, like where things could be clarified by taking away, but it was always clarified by adding another sentence. And I wish I would have been given these tasks because looking at these grids, which is one of their figures in the actual text of the page, the paper, it's like, oh, yeah, you just take that part away. But would I have done that? I don't know if I would have done it. Yeah, I know. Like, I would have done yeah. it looking at it now, but... I do... I wonder what software engineers would do in this situation. Very mm -hmm. small subset of people, but software engineers like to take code away, not add. 
Okay. Um, it would be interesting to see a breakdown by discipline of oh. what people do for a living. Mm, that's a really is, good point. Is what point. I'm getting at. But it is, it is true. You know, if we add, you feel like you're, you're literally adding value. You're putting some of you into it. Yeah. So that's the weird part that this thing took. I mean, the one that they talk about, you know, if you, they had this Lego structure and it cost you 10 cents to buy extra Lego pieces to make this Lego structure more sound so that you could put a brick on top of it. Cost you nothing to take it away. But all they would say was it cost 10 cents to add pieces. And so everyone added pieces. <laughs> and then they said it cost 10 cents to add pieces, but you don't have to add. And then more people did the subtractive option. Um, and they talked about... Or they would say, you know, it, you don't, it's free to take pieces away. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then you would have... So you have to have... You have to overcome whatever it is that makes you automatically think of adding. What, what I thought was really interesting was they said that to add some, or to take something away, you first have to take in the whole structural problem and calculate it and then take something away from it and sort of recalculate it. Whereas adding, you're just, there's not as many steps. And so it's just cognitively simpler for you to add. And so actually subtracting takes more brain power. I thought that was very I interesting. I love this because it's so true, one. <laughs> mm -hmm. And two, yeah, it makes total sense. If, you, if you're going to remove something, you have to understand how it fits into the system as a whole. Yes. So you can envision what the system without that would look like and what the consequences may be versus just... Slapping another couple lines of code in there to yeah. fix up the problem for now. And that's how you get these big, crazy spaghetti codes. It reminds me of like a, like a, a building from Dr. Seuss, right? Like you can never understand how that works. So you just, if you want to add a room, you just start adding stuff to it as opposed to, you know, reconfiguring what's there. Cause you could never understand how that works. But I love how they took this, that psychological step, Further to say that, you know, we value addition. We value people who have lots of resources. We value excess. Right. It's so interesting to me to make that, to make that connection in here. I wondered if you thought that that was bunk or if you also thought that was very interesting. No, I thought it was very interesting. I was I was very fascinated with this whole paper. Yeah, so they, they took it even as far as to say that, you know, like this is instead of this goes so far to say that in this addition problem to save like to save the planet essentially, you know, we have to come up with these additional tasks as opposed to like subtracting things we're doing to it. We have to fix what we're already doing because we couldn't possibly, like, take things away. We couldn't possibly, like, go without things. We have to right. keep all the things and keep adding to it, and then the answer has to be additive on top of that. Yeah, this was... I'm definitely going to talk about this one a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't even remember where I found this. Yeah. I you saw... Know, I was... Well, when I first saw it, I was like, what is this? 
<laughs> and I started reading it, and immediately I was like, "This is <laughs> yes, this is everything in life." Because <laughs> I wasn't going to. Th- send this it. is why Chevy trucks have like twenty lights on the front grill yes. now. Oh my gosh! I just got a new car, and I'm angry at how busy busy it is. I'm like I hate the. It's the same car I had before, just different color. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Yeah, exactly. It's a cooler color. And a little bit bigger engine. What, what color is it? It's cool gray khaki. Yeah, you can look that up. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Obviously, I drive a Subaru. The words gray, khaki, and cool don't go together. <laughs> Shush. I have a math minor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, it's really busy. And I thought, why did you do this? Like, I liked it how it was. The other thing I love about this paper is that one of their... <laughs> One of the bibliography notations is for Strunk and White, The Elements of Style. And that made me right. inordinately happy. <laughs> Still got mine somewhere. Yep, I know. I was, I was looking at mine when I read that. I said, oh, this is amazing. So, yeah, this was totally, it's totally worth the read. Um, it's excellent. If not, also, any paper where the method section is like four times longer than paper. <laughs> so I <laughs> almost, three times. I almost didn't send it because I thought, oh, he's going to get so mad that I sent him the 17-page paper. And then I thought, oh, no, these 15 experiments they describe are totally worth it. <laughs> yeah, this was fantastic. There's a pop science article about it as well. Some cool Legos on it. Um, but, yeah, one of the extended data figures is Legos, so... That's actually why it caught my attention. <laughs> right. I thought, oh, Legos, great. And one of the experiments they did was designing a miniature golf hole. That was awesome. <laughs> what a weird thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, totally worth it. Very interesting. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're coming in at under 45 minutes for these shorts. They're more like, I don't know, more like high waters but that's okay right (laughs) well if you've got data on your additive versus subtractive tendencies or ours based on show length (laughs) uh, we would we would love to see those those facts and figures shannon how can folks get a hold of us show at don'tpanicgeocast.com we're on twitter at don'tpanicgeo i'm at shannon doolin john is at geo underscore lehman Uh, You can find us in the Slack chat room on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Please don't subtract us. (laughs) Patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Or or don't. Remove remove that from your brain. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.